Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Proud to Work in Cannabis podcast. We are coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada, MJ BizCon, and finally, finally, I have Jason Wild, chairman of Terrasen. We've been trying to do this for about five years, and now we're here. Right. Not five quite, years is an exaggeration, but at least years, five cannabis which years. Which is like a year or something normal. Well, thank you for finally doing it. Thank you. Thanks. And I'm sorry for uh, all the uh, no. blown uh, uh, and rescheduled things we've had to do over the last, uh, over the last uh, year. Well, the good news is, is that now you, we get to do a live one. This is our, only our second live podcast ever, so I feel like it was kind of meant to be. Yeah, but even here I got it here a half an hour late, so we can only do a half an hour. Well, let's get going then. <laughs> so, Jason, you have an incredible entrepreneurial story. I absolutely love entrepreneurs being an entrepreneur myself. So some people like you are super inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people really only see you as the chairman of this large publicly traded company. Can you take us back to how you got your career started and the path that you went down? Because it wasn't uh, the it same wasn't as everybody normal. else's. Yeah, it wasn't the normal uh, path. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I always grew up like entrepreneurial. I was, uh, I remember like when I was in like ninth grade trying to figure out, uh, I was going to like sell lollipops in school or something like that. And, uh, always, uh, my father's an entrepreneur as well and he's a pharmacist and he had a bunch of, uh, drug stores when I was growing up. Uh, and I would bounce all these ideas off of him. And then I came to him with an idea when I was uh, a senior in high school. Uh, I lived in uh, Rockland County, which is a suburb of New York. And none of the restaurants delivered, like zero. There were you know, multiple pizza places and Chinese restaurants and all that. None of them delivered. And I, and I was like, people want to get the, they don't, everyone doesn't want to have to go drive in and get the stuff. I'm going to go, I think I can go make a deal with these restaurants. Say, I'll take care of the delivery for you. Um, so if you get any orders that come inbound on your numbers, you refer them to us. Uh, but also, we're going to generate business for you. Um, and I worked out a deal. They gave us like 15% of the check or 18% of the check. Uh, and then we also got like a delivery fee and we were essentially like Uber Eats or DoorDash or something, uh, way ahead of, uh, oh my you God. know, this is 1989. Yes. And the crazy thing the is DoorDash of 1989. Right. We didn't even, there weren't even cell phones or we didn't, you know, maybe it was like, you know, a hundred dollars a minute or something like that. And people had them. So we had to have all of our delivery people, like after they made the delivery, go back into town <laughs> and call us. So we would give them a roll of quarters and. If they got lost, we didn't have, there was no, we didn't even have, there was a map quest or, no you know, which know was where they were. nothing. We didn't, you know, there was no navigation or anything like that. So I would have delivery guys sometimes, they'd get lost for like an hour and a half, two hours, uh, you know, and at the same time we're getting annoyed. <laughs> it was very, uh, it was difficult, but I feel like that sort of set me up for, also for the cannabis industry where you got a million different variables coming at you all the time and you got to sort of like, uh, you know, I look at it, it's like, you know, there's a million balls coming at you. You got to like take them and put them, put them in the right place and everybody else is dealing with the same stuff generally that that you are so you just got to you know you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good and you, you just got you just got to roll with it and do the best you can so th- that was your senior then you went to the uh, university of wisconsin madison right and then talk to us about you know it's your senior year of college how do you decide what you want to do when you get out of school yes so like that's a moment in time for people where you know there's so much pressure on people mm-hmm. they're they're seniors in college, like what were what was going through your head about what you wanted to do with your career at that time? Totally. And even though uh, pressure I just put on myself, I'm like, you know, what do, what, what do I want to do? What, you know, uh, do I want to, uh, uh, is, do I want to get into health? You know, I was thinking about getting into healthcare. My father, like, as I mentioned, my father's a pharmacist. I was pre-med. Mm. So, but I am not a strong student. I mean, I was always the person who did as little work as possible right. and generally did okay. 
often with the help of uh, some friends right. in high school, you know, like... Uh, you paid them from your business. Yeah, no. I thought A students teach B students how to work for C students. Okay. Oh, that's a like variation that? on the... Uh, usually it's just the, the A students work for the B students. I like that, though. Well, let's add that's in the better. C one, because yeah. as a C student, I want to... I was a C student. Yeah. So uh, I ended up deciding to go to pharmacy school because my okay. dad was like, right. uh, oh, you're coming to... Right. You know, you'll come help me uh, with the drugstores and we'll be in business. And, like, you know, I love that uh, aspect of it. But by the time I graduated pharmacy school, uh, he had sold the stores because it was impossible to, uh, oh. uh, you know, uh, make money with the insurance companies lowering reimbursement right. and competing with CVS and Walgreens right. and all that. So I graduated uh, pharmacy school. But my last semester of pharmacy school, my roommate had the Peter Lynch books. Uh, he was, you know, Peter Lynch read Fidelity Magellan. He was considered like almost uh, as up there as Warren Buffett. Not quite, but you know, grew Fidelity Magellan from like, you know, millions to billions, amazing stock picker. And his books were all like, buy what you know. Like if, if you're a pharmacist, then you should know a lot more than everybody on Wall Street that's investing and controlling a lot of money investing in these drug stocks, but has never worked in a pharmacy or is not a pharmacist, doesn't understand the science. I really took that to heart. I had like 10 grand, largely because I sold that business for 10 grand uh, before the Uber, uh, the Uber, Uber, uh, Uber yeah, DoorDash, yep. Right. It was called Phone for Food. I like that. Yeah. Phone for Food. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So you had 10 grand. So 10 grand that I had like in an account and I started investing in the stock market and, and I realized that like, and they don't talk about it in the books, but I think you're either, people are either built psychologically to be good at picking stocks or they're not. And most people aren't because they're too emotional. Uh -huh. And when things are wet or things are going well, they uh, often... They're like, oh man, why don't I own more? You know, they're already, they got, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, they have a complaint about when it goes up, but when it goes down, they become, so many people get so beat up that they end up, you know, buying the highs and selling the lows, which is obviously the opposite of what you're supposed, <laughs> to, be, uh, supposed to be doing. But I ended up, uh, I had like 10 grand uh, in an account. I started picking stocks and then I got my pharmacy degree. This was 1997. And I was so excited. I was making $65,000 a year as a base salary. All my friends who, you know, uh, did not go to pharmacy school, they were like starting salaries like 30 grand. So I felt like I was like rich. Rich. And uh, amazingly, I was able to take every other paycheck, uh, you know, uh, post-tax and deposit in my uh, brokerage account. To do investing. To do investing and buying stocks. And I was, and I didn't know any better. I was uh, margining everything two to one. So like that works when things are, when things are working. And I turned that first year of being a pharmacist, I made 65 grand as a pharmacist, and I made like four, over 400 grand Holy in the stock cow. market on like, on like 25, 30 grand. So I was so like, I like, gotta I'm do good this. At this. And I'm bored out of my mind, filling prescriptions. I was working right. in a mail order <laughs> facility, you know, uh, facility and filling like it was just a numbers thing. I didn't even get to, you know, I like to talk and you know, socialize side. You're, yeah. and all that. But it was. So you're asking uh, the customers, like, have you seen the stock? Oh, of course. Yeah, one <laughs> of the, it's funny, it was this big facility and they had a corporate uh, lunchroom. And I remember, it's funny that you say that, I remember being in the lunchroom and like looking for somebody who was interested in talking about the stock market with me right. and, and I couldn't really find anybody. No, there was no other pharmacist interested in the no. stock market. No, no, not, not at this place. Not at this time. <laughs> but, uh, and then when I looked at the numbers and all of that, and I remember talking to my dad because uh, halfway into the year, I was like, I'm bored out of my mind. I feel right. like there's no, I'm just going to, I'm supposed to just do the same thing every single day or whatever. And I remember he said to me, uh, that's why they call it a job, which I was like, you know, which I thought was bullshit. Right. But uh, like, uh, and I wasn't going to sort of, you know, uh, fall into, right. you know, that line of thinking. Uh, and I ended up, I saw an ad in the back of Barron's. My dad always got Barron's, you know, the financial uh, uh, weekly. Yep. Uh, and, and there was an ad in the back of Barron's towards the end of the first year of me being a pharmacist. And it said, 
do you want to uh, run a, or open a mutual fund or hedge fund? You know, call me. And it was a guy who's a, like a fund administrator. Uh, I called him up and he like ran me through the everything. Back of a, you, see, you see it on the back of a, you know, paper basically. Yeah, back yep. of a, uh, yep. oh yeah, um, yeah, right. The yeah, back, of, the back uh, of the, I have the ad by the oh way. Oh my gosh. Because Barron's like interviewed me a few years ago and the, uh, you gotta frame it the editor went back and found it on like microfiche or wow. whatever it is. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. So, uh, but. Call, you call the number. I called the number and like, he laid it all out for me, like mutual fund, impossible unless you're raising like, you know, a billion dollars or whatever it was. I mean, I, I was like, I had like 80 grand that right. I could, uh, right. that I was thinking that I was going to start it with, but it cost me 20 grand to open up a hedge fund. It's really just an investment limited partnership. He was going to be my fund administrator, like, you know, settle all the trades that we get a conference of all the trades and he send out all the statements to everybody. We've now used him for 25 years. Oh my gosh. He was charging me back then like a hundred dollars a month yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and I started, I decided I was going to start the fund and mainly because I believe that the stock, my stock picking was going to drive performance. I just felt, and I believed in the, you know, oh, in so compound. You're, you're like 25 or something at this point? 26. Yeah, yeah 26. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I, uh, and what, what happened was uh, I said, you know, like sort of, if you build it, they will come. Yep. Uh, you know, I started with 80 grand. It was like 50 grand of mine, 20 grand from my dad and 10 grand from one of my buddies. Uh, and I just, and I was running it at this, at this point, I was, uh, engaged to my uh, beautiful wife and we had an apartment and I was like, she running like this it. is crazy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> she's always been uh, super like, uh, supportive and believed in me. And, and I was able to do this because she was making enough money to like support us that I could, you know, say I'm giving up this $65,000 a year, you know, job or Pharmacy. most of it. Cause yeah. I, the first couple of years I worked, uh, in the ShopRite pharmacy in Paramus, New Jersey, like two nights a week. Oh, so maybe oh, I was making okay. 20 grand or right. whatever it was. Right. But, and it was really when people, when I talk to people about the story, if I talk to somebody like who's like my age now or 40 or something, it's sort of like, I can't necessarily encourage them to do something like that because at that point I had such, you know, uh, little expenses. I didn't right. have kids, right. you know, Your my wife. Low. Yeah. Right. So I always so think it's about harder. that. Like it's the best, like, I mean, similarly, I started my thing in college and I think about it now, like when I talk to my friends who want to start businesses, I'm like, well, you have like kids and a house and a mortgage. Like it definitely gets harder as time goes by, which is why I always tell people like your twenties are like the time, like 100%. just send it. Yeah. Who cares either. if you mess things up? Because by the way, it doesn't matter. You don't have a, you, you don't, have, you don't have any, you don't have anything. So there's nothing else to lose. A hundred percent. And so 20 pe people in their twenties out there. Now's the moment to send Now's it. The time. And I, I, I was listening. Uh, I love Danny Myers. Uh, I just yeah. think he's, he's incredible. I was listening to, um, one of his books and he said he was studying for the LSAT. He was taking the LSAT the next day, but obviously he'd always like wanted to be a chef. Yeah. And his uncle said to him, Danny, how many years are you going to be dead? And he was like, I don't know. And his uncle said, well, you're going to be dead a hell of a lot longer than you're going to be alive. So yeah. why the fuck are you taking the LSAT when you want to go and be a chef? And he right. went on to open a ton of amazing restaurants, Shake Shack, you know, mm. and it's just like, yep. I love that you were like, I'm filling prescriptions. Why am I filling prescriptions when I can be doing something I love? So anyway, I want to get back yeah. to your, your and story. And I have ADHD. You have ADHD. So I, it Me was too. undiagnosed, but it was like. This podcast could be hard because we both have ADHD, but I feel like I'm doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's change get subjects back to you. and talk about something else. What's going on out there? I'm just kidding. Uh, so it was. Uh, so you start out, you got about basically 100 grand. Some of your, yeah. some of your, some of your families, your wife's 
working yeah. what's yeah, now Yeah, she's what working, and I was running it like out of my uh, one-bedroom apartment yep. in, in Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. And somebody introduced me to, some, uh, to another guy he knew that had a fund. I went over, the office was three blocks away. It was like a hedge fund hotel right. with multiple funds. And the guy liked having me around, and he just started showing up there every day. Your office. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was like, uh, you know, there's a Seinfeld where Kramer showed up for a job <laughs> that he wasn't hired for. And that's what, uh, that's what happened. I started showing up there every day. And after like two or three weeks, the guy that owns the firm, he's like, well, you're here every day. You might as well run your fund out of here. And, um, and we'll also that, give you... Uh, no, it's cool. Uh, Zia told me to turn this off before, and I did. No, we like it. Uh, you, uh, if it was Rosie, we would have had to answer. That's funny. Yeah, for sure, I wasn't. Uh, so, uh, so he was like, uh, and you should trade our uh, prop account, proprietary trading account as well, which was like... Awesome. I was just trading whatever I was trading in my fund. I was doing it double the size, doing it uh, for this firm. And they paid out monthly uh, oh. in terms of the profits and at 50% payout versus my oh. fund at 20. So that is what, for the next several years, made it so that I could, you know, uh, help support, right. uh, you know, uh, my, me and my wife as well, because uh, I was essentially, uh, you know, uh, you know, carrying two jobs at once to a certain extent. And I think like a, a takeaway here is like Jason just showed up to these people's office. Like mm. when you show up over and over again, I think eventually good things yeah. begin to happen. Yeah. So yeah. fast forward today of $600 million under management, according to the less. website. Yeah. But yeah. talk to me, like how did, how did you go from yeah. the 100,000 to the 600,000? Obviously you got a lucky break here, but not even a lucky break, but just you kept putting yourself in the position to get lucky. Yeah. Um, what was the, you know, the next several years like as, as you started really growing the fund. So it took a while. And then eventually we will get to cannabis. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it took a while. I mean, we went, I think the fund went from like 80 grand to by the uh, peak in, uh, you know, the market, the NASDAQ peaked in uh, March or so of uh, 2000. By the way, the same exact day that I got arrested in Central Park for smoking weed. Oh. That was the Rudy Giuliani, no broken windows policy. Right, right. They were going to go after everything. I went into jail. I was like in, in, in jail <laughs> 2000, uh, in downtown, 2000, 2000 March yeah. or April of 2000. Yeah. It took me like 24 hours to get, uh, you know, uh, put through uh, the whole process. And when I finally got out, I got out. Every single one of my stocks was down. Like that was the peak that day before. And you had no, you didn't know what was going on because you were in jail. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. But, 24 hours. And, but it was like a little crazy. Not that I think the whole world revolves around me, but like, right. you know, I sort of, uh, me and the market both sort of, uh, sort of uh, crashed uh, <laughs> uh, at the same time. Uh, and over the following, uh, you know, year or so, we built the fund back up, you know, from that peak in, uh, in 2000, I was definitely much more aggressive back then and had, you know, major volatility, but figure by four or five years later, we were only up to like, you know, 8 million in AUM. And I was always, I think that this is something that I often tell people who are entrepreneurs, like to me, one of the biggest aspects about it is just patience. Like you're not, it's not all going to happen Overnight. right away. And I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm here, you know, it's the same thing with cannabis. Like I'm here for the long term. Right. Like if it takes, if it takes a year, if it takes 10 years or 20 years, like, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, and that is, I think that's what separates yeah. a lot of other, uh, a lot of companies are sort of, they, they go to reach and try to grab a dollar today because they don't have patience when if they don't take it today, they can make $5 next year or something like that. Which I think is a big issue for venture capitalists too, especially yeah. like the, the impatience, oh, right? And absolutely. I, and I think, like when I think about it, everyone seems to think everyone's an overnight success 15 years later, 20 years later. And so I, I think this story is so good oh, because totally. you're talking about, you know, the, the first, like you're talking about, that was like a decade that you just described and you were still 8 million 
under yes. management. So I want to keep going with the story. So we peaked. So by 2010, which was 12 years in, uh, we got 12 years to, in. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. We we got up to about 50 million in AUM okay. by uh, 2000 uh, by the beginning of 2008. Okay. Then the market crashed. Right. Uh, and so this a lot is your of my second stuff, market crash, basically, in your. In 2008, was your second time going through? Yes, there were two right. of them. Yeah, right. yeah, for sure. And generally, you know, it, it, we have a major, you know, they always call it like a thousand-year flood, but it seems to happen right. in the market. You know, right. uh, we got, you know, we've had some nice, uh, uh, strong bear markets uh, every, you know, six years or so. Uh, but got up to 50 million in AUM by the beginning of 08, and by the end of 08, uh, with the combination of, you know, uh, not great performance, you know, down 20-something percent or high 20s percent, and all these other fund, funds put up gates and didn't let people take their money out, and we didn't, because my view was like, I don't want, I don't want somebody to be stuck in my fund if they don't right. want to be there. Right. But they all came to me for liquidity because they couldn't get it out of other places. Oh. I had a lot of investors had money with Bernie Madoff. They got wiped out from that. They had to take money uh, from us. So between all of that, we went from 50 million in AUM to about 12 million wow. in AUM. But and if you look at the history of fund, that's sort of like we have a big run and then we have a decent pullback and consolidated, and then we go on another big one. We ended up going straight from so from 12 million AUM to you know uh, hundreds of millions of dollars over the next over the next few years. There's a perfect example. If you would have just been like, you know what, this isn't for me. I've gotten too beat up. If you would have quit oh, then, yeah. you would have never right. had the success that you ultimately had from just sticking it out and keeping going. Yeah, absolutely. And just knowing that it's the that it's a long game, and not to judge uh, myself too much on whatever is happening in the in the near term. You know, just sort of believing in what we were doing, but. What happened in 08 also was my real specialty there was uh, what's called specialty pharma companies, okay. which are the smaller ones that aren't Merck and Pfizer. They're often much more entrepreneurial. And I ended up in like 08, I ended up finding two of, the, two of the public companies I was invested in. I found one company, this amazing deal. They bought an asset from this other company, paid $10 million for it. And they did like, they ended up doing like 300 million in revenue. They had a few things oh break gosh. their way over the, yeah, at like an 80% gross margin. And I put that whole thing together. That company wouldn't have gotten it if it wasn't for me. And that's and the one that you're on the board of? No, this now? is, uh, this, is okay. this is the genesis of that. Okay. So I was like, and I got a pat on the back from them. So, uh, <laughs> and I was like, you know, it didn't really do anything for my investors and my fund and all of that. And I was like, I got to, whenever I sort of uh, have something where I miss a huge opportunity or squander an opportunity, it makes me feel a little better if I say, okay, that was my education, uh, right. part of my education. I right. need to figure out how to not squander that opportunity again. I always call and, this a very expensive MBA. Uh, exactly. Right? We're both getting very expensive MBAs. <laughs> exactly. So, and in, so what I'd set out in 09 to do was find a CEO to partner up with, and I wanted to start a drug company because I had so many companies coming through my office, you know, public ones, and they were much more open with me than they would be with, like, competitors if there was like a business development guy at another right. pharma company. So I could be like, oh, this product doesn't seem to fit with the rest of your portfolio. Would you be willing to sell it and all that? And often, you know, a product that's lost or an orphan within a big company could really be revitalized by a smaller one that puts, you know, some attention behind it. So that was my idea was I have all these, I, I, I can see this deal flow and I'm good at knowing what are good deals. Right. And just knowing, like, if you told me a product I could uh, easily have a service. I could look up their sales and how many prescriptions they're doing a week. Mm -hmm. I could figure out their margins. Like, mm -hmm. like I can usually, on the back of the envelope, tell you roughly what it, what it would be worth. Uh, and I wanted to be able to refer those opportunities in-house. And that was the genesis. I, it took me about a year to find a CEO to do it with me. Uh, and we co-invested in this thing, Arbor Pharmaceuticals. Right. We bought a small company called Arbor that was doing like a million and a half in sales. We bought it for two and a half million bucks. 
put another three million on the balance sheet. The CEO put a million dollars of his own money in the company, which I thought was admirable, and also said he wasn't taking any salary until we were cash flow positive, which, wow. which was crazy at the time because we, we didn't have anything. We were starting from scratch. And we ended up, we did that in uh, April of 10, and we found three amazing deals that first year required like practically no cash up front, where the next year we were doing 127 million in sales and 55 Holy million cow. in pre-tax uh, profits. And so it worked year, out for the next yeah, for- Three years later, we're doing 100 million in profit, and KKR, uh, the big uh, private equity fund, uh, came knocking. Uh, we sold them a third of the company. We sold them all secondary shares. So I was able to go to all my investors and say, you know, uh, you can take care of buy every share that you'll sell them at 150 times what you paid Since for they originally. They were happy, and it took my fund, you know, uh, to the next, next level, level from 20 something million, which is what I had gotten it back to. And this was in 2013, you said? To, uh, we sold uh, to KKR that piece in uh, 15. So to, uh, 14 or 15. So this was like a huge break, but this, again, to like the 15 years later, this was like. 15 years, this 15 oh, years yeah. later? What's the saying about yeah. like uh, all these years to become an overnight right. success or something? Right. And it like, you know, it took my fund up. I mean, this company was earning $100 million. If you conservatively market, even if, you know, for what we kept on our portfolio, that's worth $800 million. Right. And we owned half of it. Right. So, and we raised like, the company raised total equity from inception of $20 million. So that means that all those earnings were massively accretive on an earnings per share basis. And you know, we invested at 25 cents a share and we sold to KKR at $37 a share. Wow. So, so I want to get into cannabis. So now yes. this happens. So I took that money. So that you took this much. So yeah. So this happens. You're, took you're, that money and you're I like, I'm not weed. done yet. I'm going yes. into it. Oh, okay. it wasn't even a, not even close. it wasn't you're even a thought young. about whether I was done. I mean, even now, like I plan on doing this for, so you're you know, stock picking and investing for, you know, for as long as I can. But 100. It, it, yeah. A hundred's cool. That's yep. good. Uh, but what happened was we had a, my investors uh, cashed out about $150 million mm-hmm. uh, in this whole, it was like on a million dollars. It became That's 150 roughly or something like that. Crazy cool. And I got a call from a banker in Canada saying, uh, hey, did you know they legalized uh, uh, medical cannabis here? Uh, and we're raising money for this company up in Toronto. Uh, you know, you want to come see? I've been a, a, a you know, you had a gotten cons- connoisseur or a consumer yeah. of cannabis for, you know, for, you know, multiple days a week for 30, 20-something years, I guess, at that point, or maybe a little less. Uh, but I was like, I'd never seen a grow before or seen live right. cannabis plants or anything like that. Maybe I planted a couple of seeds, you know, <laughs> that which ended up being males or whatever, you know, in 1992. Uh, but I wanted to go see it. I always, I'm always a big believer in going, getting off my butt, not sitting in front of my computer and watching my stocks tick all day. And going getting out, out there. Getting out there, even if it's a company that I don't end up that's investing a, that's in. That's a good I always tip, learn. everybody. Get out there. Get out there. And turn over every, you know, stone that you can in terms of different opportunities, different uh you never know what you're going to find, and even if you don't uh, find something you're going to invest in, it might be an opportunity for later, where they come back to you, or something changes, or you just learn and they put you onto, you know, uh, some other company that might be interesting. Like it's just, I always learn. Uh, so that's what happened. We went up. It was this company, Metrum, yep. that ended up becoming part of Canopy Growth. Yep. And uh, I went up there, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is going to be huge." I was starting to get. Uh, you know, more, uh, you know, worried about pharmaceuticals and, yep. uh, and pricing and the election, uh, uh, you know, uh, the presidential election was coming up and it was the first time we had a Republican and Donald Trump yep. who was yep. anti yep. big pharma as well. Yep. Usually it was just the Democrats. Yep. And I just felt like cannabis, I considered it healthcare or pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was going to be only, the only part of pharmaceuticals that I thought was going to grow very strongly over the next 20 years. Uh, and when I came back from that trip, 
I was like, I got to meet as many of these cannabis companies as I can. This is going to be huge. I was even surprised, like, I was talking to my parents about it. They weren't like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Were you living in New York or Miami at this time? I was living in, uh, in New York. In New York, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I was in uh, Armagh in Westchester. So uh, I started going up for, the, for like, two, three years or so. I probably did, you know, 30 trips up to Canada. Canada. I would start in, often in, uh, on the West Coast and work my way to uh, yep. uh, Toronto. And we ended up investing mainly in uh, like four companies. Okay. Uh, and fortunately, those turned out to be some of the best ones. And even the way we weighted them, we put the most money into the biggest position, and that was Metrum, which was bought by Canopy Growth. Yep. And we held on for, for a few years with that, and we were getting paid like over 20% a year in short uh, interest to lend our shares out. Uh, and that uh, did really well. Our second, so We were like the sixth largest shareholder in Canopy when... Whoa. Constellation invested in Incredible. You know, uh, what was it, three billion or whatever it was. Uh, Kronos was our second. We were mm -hmm. like ninth largest shareholder in that. So we had invested, uh, you know, uh, roughly uh, $20 million. My view was like, if it works, it's going to work and have a real impact on the portfolio. And if it doesn't, we'll lose a few percent and it won't be a disaster. It's like, uh, you know, it was just the, I felt like uh, the risk reward from a dollar perspective uh, uh, was good. And we ended up you know, we put in, uh, we put them, that money in and two, three years later, it was worth like over $200 million because all these stocks went crazy. Yep. It was before REC before, in yep. Canada. Yep. Yep. And in uh, late 17, I was up there at a conference and talking to Bruce Linton, the old CEO of Canopy Growth. And I said, you know, I just met with all my companies and a bunch of other companies. And the, these guys, these executives, uh, and I said, guy, it, it was mostly guys. There, right. there weren't too many uh, females uh, back then in the space in Canada. But I said, they're all the biggest fucking lightweights I've ever met in my life. I said, <laughs> I, said I think I can do like a, a, a Arbor 2.0, but in cannabis. But the difference is, when we started Arbor, our goal was to get 100 million in sales within like uh, five years, I think. Yep. Which, you know, which we beat in the first year. But it was never to be the biggest, you know, most profitable uh, right. pharma company in the world. Right. Uh, because there was so much competition, but I felt like in cannabis there wasn't. And, and I said, I think we can be a top you know, five or ten cannabis company in the world within, within uh, five or so years. And Bruce Linton like, loved the idea. Uh, we had a very good relationship, and he's like, we want to do it with you. So the way that manifested itself was TerraSend was a company I'd put 500 grand into in January 17. It was now November. Yep. And I called them up uh, and said, I want to come by and see you. And I convinced them they had a $50 million uh, market cap. They were trading on the CSE, and I convinced them to take a $52 million private placement, uh, and uh, Canopy Growth co-invested in that deal with me. I did 60% of it, and they did like 40%. And that was the start of the whole that thing. Was the and the at first, thing. we were only doing Canada. Like, I was worried about getting arrested and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you didn't and want I, to get arrested again. No, not again. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so, but within about a year or so, the stock, here, here's what, you know, what happened. The stock went from a dollar, it was the day before uh, MJ Biz in Vegas in November of 17. Okay. We announced it, like we put out the press release the morning. It was like the first mm -hmm. day of MJ Biz. Mm -hmm. The stock went from a dollar where it closed, it opened at $2.20, closed at like $1.90. And then over the next six months, it went to like $5. And I was freaking out because we hadn't done anything yet. We didn't we have like, any what's sales. Going on here? And we were looking for deals. We keep getting outbid by other Canadian companies that were willing to you know, overpay and all of that. And we were being disciplined. And I realized, like, I was stressed because we were being given so much credit at that point, and I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to deliver. And I realized that the only way that I could feel comfortable that we were going to be able to deliver is if we went to the U.S. Yep. 
And that's and you came made, to the U.S. And we came to the U.S. We were the first, I think, uh, Canadian LP, or maybe we were the only one that completely pretty much pivoted to the U.S. We gave up the right uh, at the time we knew we weren't going to be able to list on a U.S. exchange. But like to me, it's the whole, you know, short term, the market's a voting machine and long term, it's a weighing machine. And we weren't going to be, uh, be able to build a real business if we didn't go after the biggest market uh, in the world. And, and that's and, how and it started. Here's the thing. This is actually a two part episode. Yeah. So part two, we're going to talk about how Terrason went into Let's the U.S., talk. your strategy in the U.S., what you're predicting for 2024 will be coming to you in part two. So, Jason, awesome. thank you so much for coming. I can't wait for episode for part yeah, two I'm of psyched. this episode. I'm psyched. I can't wait. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.